Welcome to Sermons and Sounds of Plymouth, the podcast of Plymouth United Church of Christ. I am Pastor David, and on behalf of the members of this congregation, thank you very much for joining us. May God bless you through these words, and may you know God's love through them. Now, the podcast. Before we get into this, we don't often read from Leviticus. I'm not sure how many times uh, it actually shows up in the lectionary, but it's pretty rare. Uh, Leviticus being the book of the law, it's, it's pretty dry uh, reading most of the time. But this uh, has some interesting, interesting things in it, uh, commands. This is part of the law given to Moses uh, before the people came into the promised land. Uh, and uh, doing a, a reading from the message so it's a little not so dry uh, as it can be in other translations. And I think, I think you'll find some interesting things in here that fits with uh, Jesus's Sermon on the Mount words from today. So, Barb, please come and share scripture. God spoke to Moses, speak to the congregation of Israel, tell them, be holy, because I, God, your God, am holy. When you harvest your land, don't harvest right up to the edges of your field, or gather the gleanings from the harvest. Don't strip your vineyard bare or go back and pick up the fallen grapes. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am God, your God. Don't steal, don't lie, don't deceive anyone. Don't swear falsely using my name, violating the name of your God. I am God. Don't exploit your friend or rob him. Don't hold back the wages of a hired hand overnight. Don't curse the deaf. Don't put a stumbling block in front of the blind. Fear your God. I am God. Don't pervert justice. Don't show favoritism to either the poor or the great. Judge on the basis of what is right. Don't spread gossip and rumors. Don't just stand by when your neighbor's life is in danger. I am God. Don't secretly hate your neighbor. If you have something against him, get it out into the open. Otherwise, you are an accomplice in his guilt. Don't seek revenge or carry a grudge against any of your people. Love your neighbor as yourself. I am God. Our gospel lesson is from Gospel of Matthew. We continue in the Sermon on the Mount. This is the fourth Sunday that we have been listening to Jesus' sermon. It goes on for a few, uh, few chapters. We've heard, blessed are you, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, uh, blessed are the peacemakers, and you are the salt, you are the light of the world. Uh, and now he continues uh, laying out some kind of ethics, ethical living for us, a a new way of being God's people. And so hear now and listen for how God is speaking to you through these words from Matthew's Gospel. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, Give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you. 
and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbors and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Here ends the reading. Thanks be to God. These are some difficult words that uh, Jesus offers here. Um, and I want to say, kind of just at the, at the outset here, I want to say uh, two things. One, I think most of our enemies, what we consider our enemies, uh, however you uh, conceive of that word, and there may be a, a stronger word than most of us are comfortable with, there are certainly the, the enemies that nations have, but the enemies that we have in our personal lives. I think many of the enemies that we have or that we consider to be enemies are, are constructs of our minds, that relationship exists maybe more in our mind than in reality, and exists because we failed uh, to take a, a faith step to try to reconcile that relationship, to, to try to make that relationship something other than, than what it is, or at least to try to change it to try to change it, maybe find out that it can't be changed, and then you know the, you know the truth. But our, our vocation as Christians, I think one of our vocations is to say to a world that likes to divide, that likes to have enemies and friends, that likes to be us versus them, part of our Christian vocation is to say to the world, we are not so easily satisfied with making such easy distinctions. We will go the extra mile to try to fix those relationships. But that said, that many of our enemies are constructs uh, of our minds, there are real enemies. There are some real bona fide enemies out there. Enemies that maybe don't deserve our other cheek or our cloaks or the extra mile though they do deserve our prayers, our compassion, our love, even our attempt to understand or to help, but not necessarily that we have to be in relationship with them. I, th I think especially of, of those who abuse others. Spousal abuse, whether it be a husband or a wife or a parent abusing a child, child abusing a parent, or a babysitter, or a teacher, or bullies at school, bullies at work, bullies in the church, a boss. No one deserves to be abused. No one deserves to be abused. No one ought to be forced to suffer continued abuse. That's a kind of enemy. I don't think Jesus is saying in that position that you just have to turn the other cheek, that you have to continue to suffer that 
kind of abuse, and there are unfortunately those out there. I've heard the stories, read the stories. Those out there in the religious community, the biblical, some literalists, some fundamentalists, who will counsel people who are being abused, especially wives, will counsel those wives that they have to stay in that situation, that they just need to keep enduring the abuse and eventually through their suffering they'll change the hearts of the man who's abusing them. I think that's ludicrous. I don't think that's what Jesus means here at all. And some of those counselors will quote this scripture or the, what Jesus said last week about divorce or some other parts of scripture to say it is your duty to stay in that situation uh, and not take care of your own needs. I, I think that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's an abuse of scripture and it's a further abuse of the person being uh, counseled who is already being abused by someone else. It's one of the dangers of, of Jesus' words here especially if one is in a position of power and uses them against someone who has less power than you. Something to be very careful about. And often, you know, the, the literalists, the fundamentalists uh, are, are, I don't know, I, I don't want to demean them or decry them, but it seems like they are often coming at scripture more from a, uh, an ideology of trying to support power differences than trying to find what God is really saying to us. And so they abuse, easy to abuse scriptures like this. I think Jesus is offering in these words here a very different kind of picture. Not one that says you have to be a doormat or just continue to suffer abuse, or that power is good. Jesus offers an alternative worldview that there is power in weakness. That real power, godly power, Christian power, is in weakness. That's the power of the cross. Of God becoming weak to die on the cross, and to go to the cross, and in that whole journey to the cross to offer nothing but forgiveness to those around him. God becoming weak to show, as, as I said in last Sunday's sermon, to show the power of choosing the way of life over the power of choosing the ways of death. Violence, power, vengeance, it's the power of weakness power of love, the power that says I'm not going to use evil's tools, even to fight evil. I'm going to use the tools of love. So there are enemies that can be won over. There are enemies that could be won over. There are enemies to be defeated through nonviolence and through love. Gandhi took on the British Empire through nonviolence and helped liberate India. You know, Martin Luther King Jr. using nonviolence. I mean, those are pretty big, dramatic examples. We're not all Gandhis, we're not all Martin Luther King Juniors, but there's something to be learned there of the power of using love and not using the tools of evil, of recognizing 
God's image in the people that we're up against? You know, what if we heard the cries of our enemies and listened as though they too were people on whom God also sends the sun and the rain and whom God also loves? What if we saw them as people who also love their families and who greet their sisters and brothers? You know, Jesus' way respects the God image of the people around us respects the God image of the enemy and suggests that we consider that maybe we're not 100% pure and they're not 100% evil or wrong just because we oppose one another at some level. What if our enemies have a legitimate complaint against us? Maybe there's something in that relationship that can be redeemed. Yeah, what if uh, as the, the great... Pogo once said, Walt Kelly's Pogo said, we have seen the enemy and he is us. What if? What if? It's not always black and white as to who is the enemy and who is the hero in any pair or in any conflict. That's one of the beauties of diplomacy is to try to find a way to come together and so there is danger in this passage, in these words that, that Jesus said. If we take them really, really literally, there's this danger of using them as a weapon. As using them a weapon as against other people, as I mentioned, telling the abused person they have to stay in the abusive relationship, that they have no path out, that they just need to pray their way out of it. It could also be used uh, to abuse in other ways. I mean, in some sense, uh, why not? And I would hope no one would do this, but why not you know, just go up to someone and take their coat and say, hey, Jesus said you have to give me your cloak too. Sorry. It's the rule. It's what Jesus said. Or walk up to someone and punch him and go, hey, Jesus said I get to hit you again. You have to let me. And while you're at it, eh, why don't you give me your iPad and your wallet and write a report for me for work. And if I don't get a promotion because you wrote it poorly, I'll come back. And be abused that way. There's nothing godly in giving up dignity or in taking someone else's dignity. That's certainly one of the dangers here in this passage. But there's another danger in what Jesus says. And this is a wonderful incredible kind of danger a good sort of danger in Jesus's words because they have the capacity to change the world they have the capacity to fight evil to change the world into the way that God imagines it they can put us on the path to defeat evil by not buying into evil's agenda but by stepping around it, by using a different method to say, you don't have power over me. I'm not going to let you have that power over me. I will meet you with love, meet you with grace. And that's always been the danger of Christianity, the danger of the gospel to change the world, the danger of Jesus' words to liberate people. And this is one of the reasons that Christianity is often made illegal in oppressive countries. 
tyrannical countries and dictatorships because the message of liberation is so strong. It's one of the things that the slave owners feared here in the U.S. is if the slaves heard too much of the message of liberation, they might get ideas and want to be a free people. There is danger in Jesus' words, there's danger to liberate, to change the world. You have heard it said, stand your ground, but I say to you, change the systems that lead to those situations where you need to stand your ground. Or you have heard it said, lock your car doors when you drive through that area. But I say, go be with the people. Go help make it not that area, but make it our area. Work on those relationships. You have heard it said, illegal immigrants, but I say to you, a person can't be illegal. They're all mine. I made them. They're in my image. I entrust them. In fact, I entrust them to your care. Don't harvest all of your crops. Leave some for them to have so that they don't go hungry. There can be power in allowing our faces to be slapped. Both the power of resistance that may shame someone who's trying to hurt us, a way of saying you don't have that power over us, although again, don't take that too literally. I don't want you to just stand there and be abused. That's not what we're calling for, but the power of turning the other cheek to not let others control you. There is something as we turn the other cheek, right? Picture this, we turn the cheek. As we turn the cheek, maybe one thing Jesus is saying to us as we turn the cheek is that by turning it, we get a different perspective. We see the world from a different angle. Jesus is saying maybe you need to change sometimes you need to change your perspective as well. You know, I think of uh, uh, the church and religion in, in general for the past <clears throat> number of decades, the church has been getting slapped in a sense, getting slapped by uh, the outside culture, getting, uh, getting critiqued uh, and whatnot. We've, and we've not been real good at turning the cheek necessarily. Not always been good at turning the cheek to the slaps that we've received but have continued with business as usual, shutting, shuttering ourselves in and standing our ground and not listening maybe like we should have to the people on the outside that do critique us, that do want us to live more fully into the words that we say and the words of Jesus, you know, the person that we say we follow. We have often brought old uh, answers that aren't as relevant anymore to a world that has changed, that's different. It's time, uh, an exciting time for the church, a difficult time, certainly. Change is always difficult. But perhaps time to turn, to turn the other cheek and seek more human-affirming and life-giving 
ways, to being active and present, speaking to the real anxieties of today's world. I think the UCC has been good at that. We here at Plymouth have been good at that, going out into the community and doing things and serving the people. There's much more that could be done. Uh, you know, and, and the words that Jesus uses here, he uses a lot of action words. Love your neighbor. Pray for your enemies. Give your cloak. Turn the other cheek. Go the second mile. He's talking about a ministry of presence, a ministry that's lived in the world, not holed up at home or kept within the walls of the church, but a faith lived, a ministry of doing, being present in the world, a move away from violence or apathy and into peace and action, loving action, compassionate action, Jesus' relentless unwillingness to let evil win. Now Gandhi has a quote on here, an eye for an eye makes the world blind. Or how can your neighbor see Jesus' light if you pluck his eye? Or how can your neighbor feed on the bread of Christ if you take her tooth? Loving action, love your enemy. And one might say, well then, uh, if I love my enemy, then what is, what is the difference between an enemy and a friend? Jesus. Maybe. Oh. Ah, clever Jesus. Love your enemies, love your friends. And Jesus ends by saying, be perfect. Be perfect as your God is perfect. Which I don't think means don't ever do anything wrong. I don't think God is, or Jesus is telling us we need to be something that we cannot be. I don't know any human being that can be perfect. I think Jesus knows, knows that. Not giving us this impossible task that we can never live up to. Maybe perfect, be perfect as a state of being. Be perfect, be faithful. Perfection as a way of being. We're made in God's image. And if God is perfect, then there's something indwelling in us of God's perfectness as well. So maybe this, this call to be perfect, not a command, be perfect, but an invitation from Jesus. Be perfect. An invitation to be who we are. Be like your Father in heaven. Be like me. Be perfect like God is perfect. This invitation to be who we are in God's image. To be the people who love our enemies. Who pray for them. To be the people who meet evil with unconditional love. And to be the people who live these dangerous worlds, that, these dangerous words that can change the world. Let us be those people. Let us live like that. Amen. And that is the good news for this day and for all days. Thank you again for listening to the Sermons and Sounds of Plymouth podcast.
If you are in the Eau Claire area, we especially invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. And I invite you also to check out our website at pcucc.com for upcoming events and special worship services. From Plymouth United Church of Christ, Eau Claire, Wisconsin, this is Pastor David. Thank you for spending this time with us. May God bless you.